Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. All right, welcome back to Vernacular. I know there are a lot of you out there who fast forward through that intro, so I'm going to play that intro again for you. <laughs> Just you can't kidding. escape it. Just kidding. Welcome back to Vernacular. We hope you enjoyed the previous episode. There was a break from our Art of Being Human series, and that was an interview with Tish Oxenrider about mental health and travel. It was and so fun to record. It was, and we hope you listened to it or listened to it and enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't, go back. It's the episode previous to this one in our feed. But today, we're back to our series on the art of being human. We are yes. talking about, again, what it means to be human. And another aspect of that is, what is a human person? What is a human person? What a marvelous question. <laughs> I think we have to start with the obvious. The human person is not just a body. Right. Nor just a soul. Nor just a soul. And by soul, we are not going to talk about exactly the definition of a soul because that's very complicated and we don't have the time to go into that or the right. knowledge. So we could spend a lot of time talking about Aristotle's on the soul, his master <laughs> treatise on the soul. We could talk about vegetative souls and how Aristotle thought that plants had souls. Oh my goodness. We could talk about sensitive souls and how Aristotle thought that animals had sensitive souls. And then we could talk about rational souls. And the differences between soul and spirit and mind. But whether you can, however you conceive of the soul, we're we're kind of landing on the deepest part of a human person. Yeah, I think that's a good a good way to capture a definition of a soul for the purpose of a twenty minute or less podcast on soul and body right. union. So we're going to talk about soul and body union today. Yeah, and so and that for the purposes of that, we'll say that a soul is the deepest part of a person. So we add that to the body. And then the question is, is it more one than the other? Is it is one bad and the other good? What we are here to say is that a human person is the union of body and soul. And both of those things are good elements. And together, as a union, they form the human person. So that's our conclusion. But to get to that point, we want to talk first about competing ideas of what a human person is and the misconceptions that come out of those competing ideas. Right. And then we want to talk about the fundamental tension that we as as unions of body and soul feel between the body and the soul. Just because we're union doesn't mean we don't feel that the two can be disconnected in some way or right. out of sync. Right. And then we want to wrap up with what do we do about that tension? Do we just say, who cares about this union where <laughs> we don't feel like a union? What do we do about that? Right. How does it inform how we live? Right. Right. Okay, so what are we starting with? So competing ideas. Competing ideas. What okay. a human person is. Because right. we say we are the union of body and soul. Right. But other ideas that come to mind. Um, dualism. Dualism, yes. A couple episodes back we said we were not dualists. Right. So a dualist would say that we have body and soul, but those are distinct entities. They are perhaps two different natures. You can two, separate them. Two sides of a coin. That is not what... We are. And we are a union of body and soul. I was also reminded of, um, I think it's Augustine who fought against the Manichaeists. Yes. And they hated the body. 
So they they believed that there was a body and there is a soul, but the soul is good and the body is bad. Right. And the body is only there to drag us down. And you hear the term Manichaean today normally in the context of someone who sees the world as very black and white, right? They see oh, really? good and evil in the world. So you might say that this person has a very Manichaean foreign policy. You might say that this person has a, a very Manichaean view of a certain issue. And I think that's it goes back to the Manichaeans who saw this dualist issue as very black and white as well. The soul was good and the body was bad. And everything that the body led us towards was bad. And everything that the soul led us towards was good. So the way to the way to achieve goodness was to deny everything that the body wanted. And this you actually see this strain of thought in a lot of stoicism and in uh, modern day uh, modern day ascetic practices that try to deny the body food and water for extended meditative periods, etc. Now, I'm not saying that there's no value in having periods of of time where you deny yourself food and water. I think. But I think if you've come from the place that the body and its physical needs are evil, right. bad, that's that's, that's where you go wrong. Right. Yeah. So we're rejecting Manichaeanism, right? Yeah. Ma- Manichaeism. And while I was um, thinking about this episode, I also was reminded of a podcast that I was listening to on Flannery O'Connor. And one of the hosts was describing this experience as a child where she was at a burial of her grandfather or something. And her father looked down at the body of his dead father and said, that is not your grandfather. Hmm. And she at the time didn't realize how formative that was in her thinking and how she had to get herself out of that over time because she spent her childhood thinking, oh, our body is not, that's not me. That's not the self. Right. That, you know, and when we die, that, that dead body is, that's, that's not the person that, that died. Right. And I I think this, this happens a lot, even, well, maybe even especially among communities who see, who, who place supreme value on the soul. I'm thinking of, of Christianity and a lot of Christians I think would believe that as soon as someone dies, their soul is separated from their body and their soul ascends to heaven. And so that, you know, the the deepest part of a person, as we're de- defining a soul today, that is the person who then ascends into heaven and the body, the sort of shell that remains of what was the person is here. But that is not the person. Yeah. And I think that's where, I mean, this is probably controversial, but cremation Right. I think a lot of people are okay with cremation. Right. And I think even if they're not thinking about that when they opt for cremation or when they cremate their relatives, I think the underlying belief that allows you to cremate is this idea that the dead body is not the person. Right. Yeah. It's it's just a collection of organic matter that- That was housing the person. Once housed a soul. Yeah. And the soul is the essence of the person, therefore the- soul when it departs means renders the body no longer part of the person yeah yeah that's a really good point it makes me think about objections to this one of which i think would be that if we are saying that the human person is more than the soul and they are the union of body and soul then is someone who is born with less body parts than less of a person Mm. right so someone who's born with uh without a left hand for example yes um is that person less of a person because they don't have a working hand right if it, if a person is a union of body and soul and the body is defective is that person less of a person but i think that misses the point the point is not that a person is equal to soul plus all constituent body parts the point is that the human person is formed by a union 
a united nature of body and soul. Yeah, and I think this is a classic example of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Right, because think about organ donation, right? Yeah. When, if someone needs a new kidney and someone else has passed away from natural causes and is an organ donor, that person's kidney, the person who passed away, can go to another person. It does not mean that that person who passed away now is suddenly united to the person who receives the transplant because, again, the person is greater than the sum of their parts. Right. Or to go back to your example of being born without a limb, what about surgery where you might lose a limb or you might lose any sort of part of your body or right. losing part of yourself? Right. So when you have your appendix taken out, are you, yeah. are you less of a person because you lost part of your body? I right. mean, no. And I mean, go back to uh, what is that? What is that example? The ship of Thebes where um, it's this classical Greek myth. It sounds uh, familiar, but I don't know. Uh, I, so Will mentioned this on our podcast when he came on oh, sometime last okay. year, I think. Okay. And I'm probably butchering the name. <laughs> the idea is that uh, there, well, there's a ship, right, traveling on this journey. And by the time it reaches its destination, it's not the original ship because every part of the ship had worn out and broken oh, down right. and it's all it's all patched together and renewed. Yeah. And so the ship that they finished the journey with is not the ship that they started the journey with. And, so it is, a, is it a different ship? Right. In the same way, the human body is that way. We know yeah. that our cells regenerate and reform throughout the course of our lifetime so that the, the body that we go to die in is not the body that we are born in. It's, right. it's entirely different because of the regeneration of cells and the recreation of cells. That does not mean that we are a new body because the point is the, the unified nature of body and soul, not the constituent parts and their sum. Okay, so if we are a union of body and soul and we can't separate those things, why is it that we sometimes we can go through life and still feel a tension? You don't have to lose a limb or um, be born without a limb or experience some sort of you know organ donation or transplantation to kind of sometimes feel a tension between your body and your soul or to feel that they're just out of sync. So give me an example of this tension. Okay, so, um, so I guess – an example, I think, I mean, that I've experienced is pregnancy. Mm. You are... I have not experienced this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it relates to parenting as well, so okay. I'll get there. So pregnancy and birth for women, you have this like other human person inside of you. Mm -hmm. And you can have this feeling of like my body being at war against me and, and you know, having some other human person inside of you and yet you're a human person. And, and I think it's just this, this feeling of, of your your whole self just being something unknown to you, yeah. Um, and then you experience birth, and and you have a human person who then who is inside of you, who's now not inside of you, and your body is your own again, but it doesn't feel like your same body. And so, are you a different person? Are you a different self? Yeah. And then parenting. I remember um, someone. I don't know who it was, but I someone told me once that parenting is like having your heart kind of be walking around outside of your body. Yes. And so. Um, I think when you have children, you, you know, I'm pretty sure that was Sadie. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Sadie Sipe, who's been on the podcast before. Okay. I think I saw an Instagram post where she said that it was like having your heart walking around outside of your body. Yeah. I think that's a great description of parenting, yeah, but you feel this tension because you have like this, this child that you, that is yours and it feels like it's your heart that's just like walking around outside of your body. So, yeah. so that's not a literal tension between your not necessarily between your heart between your soul and your body but i think it's this, still this feeling of who am i mm -hmm. <laughs> and what who what is the human person and what am i experiencing right now i don't right. know um but another example i was thinking of is being objectified by someone 
if someone is objectifying another person, they are looking at them as an object yes. and they're just if if they're physically objectifying them, then they are seeing them just based on their looks, you know, whether they are beautiful or ugly or however they right. perceive of them. And so the experience of being objectified can make you feel at war within yourself. Right. Either hating your body or loving your body and wanting to get rid of your body in some way. Definitely. That's a good example. That one resonates with me, especially the pregnancy one can't really resonate sure, with me. I know. <laughs> the parenting one does as well. But yeah. but I think less so because it, you know, since you have carried our children. It feels more like a part of me that's right, walking around. Right. Sure. Um, but I still the the heart outside of you definitely yeah. resonates with me. But the uh, the objectification one definitely squares because when people do objectify you, people evaluate something that you've done and evaluate if, well people evaluate people evaluate you based on what you've done you do feel that tension yeah yeah or based on how you look right yeah um and so they're and you want to say that's not me right exactly i am not this i am not just how i look or I'm i am not, not just yeah, what i've done definitely. yeah exactly yeah okay so how do we wrestle with that tension um well i have a, I still have a couple more examples okay. that i wanted to bring yeah up. um i was thinking of athletes mm -hmm. who reach some sort of like height of physical achievement yes and they can just feel kind of i don't know just this this sensation of of their body that that just it's just it's just this height of of physicality and and that can i think create tension with then with, with their soul potentially mm -hmm. um or or the opposite like this depth or this um what it, i forget what the word is but the lowest point of your physicality if you have some sort of injury or debilitating illness right and you want to just renounce your body you mm -hmm. hate your body you want to somehow get out of your body right um so you're saying that an athlete who reaches peak potential and is setting world records in his or her sport that athlete might tend to place too much worth in their body yeah or see their their self as being their body or right. or wonder like how do they how do they conceptualize that right am i am i this this glorified body that i right. am now or well and i think this objectification issue feeds that because if People are always looking at you and telling you that you are what you do, what you do, or what you look like. You're going to start believing that. And then, if somehow you lose those abilities, right, or you lose your looks, then you feel like less of yourself. So, I mean, I've wrestled with this in my own life. Just with you know, I've talked in, talked on the podcast before about how I deal with anxiety sometimes, and um, I think a lot of it has to do with that. Like, I I place too much of my own self worth in what I'm capable of doing and achieving. And, you know, anything that threatens that ability of mine threatens my existence. It doesn't actually, but in my perception it does. You know, and that's, some, that's, that's a time where I very obviously feel that tension. Yeah. So it's, it's too easy to forget, I think, that we are a union of body and soul and our value is not contingent on the abilities of our bodies. Right, right. Or the appearance of our bodies. And if you feel like your body is weighing you down, you don't have to be an athlete to feel that. You know, sometimes we we want to um, make our body submit to us in some way or to change our body in some way. Right. And so we try to subdue it. And so we feel this tension between, you know, we talk about mind over matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we we you hear people when they're dieting talk about things like that. Like, right. I just need to ignore my natural physical instincts or hunger for hunger and um, – fullness and so forth and I, I just need to subdue those things while I reach try to seek this other version of myself right 
And I think that's just that's another example of, of this tension. So to go back to your question from before, what do we do about that? What do we do about that tension? Do we just renounce the body part or the, the, the element of ourselves that is troubling us and just say, well, I'm just more my soul then right. or I'm more my body? Um, I think that's not the answer. I think. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to embrace it. Yeah. I think the tension that we're talking about is the product of having a soul and a body. Tension has to exist between at least two opposing forces. And I say opposing forces, but we said that we're not dualists. So they're not really opposing forces. <laughs> yeah. They are unified forces, but there can be a tension between them because things can get in the way and mess up that mess up that unity. Right. And I think we just have to embrace that because that is part of what makes us human. So now we're circling all the way back to what this podcast series is about. But the art of being human, I think a big part of the art of being human is learning how to embrace and deal with and work through that tension. Life is difficult and life is messy. And, and rather than spurning it or rejecting it or saying that it's wrong to lean into it. Yeah. I really respect Dr. Gilmer Mylander and we've had him on the show before. And he writes about this and he talks about how we can have we can be a duality without succumbing to dualism. Right. And we can distinguish the body and the soul as two different elements without separating them. Right. And we are, we're just this, his book is called Neither Beast Nor God. And we're just this, he says, a peculiar in-between creature. <laughs> we're not a beast. We're not just animal instincts and body and right. matter. We, But we're not solely spirit. We're not a god or an angel. Right. So just to tease that out a little bit more, we are finite like animals, right? We have limited physical abilities. We don't have omniscience and unlimited knowledge. We don't have omnipotence and unlimited power. And we have physical needs and we have, Yeah, we have physical desires. needs. We're constrained by our need for oxygen and H2O. And right? food. <laughs> and food, yeah. But yeah. So we're finite. But we also, unlike animals, um, contra a lot of animal rights activists who maybe would get angry at me for saying this, unlike animals, we are capable of accessing these uh, incredible reflections of the inner part of man, which is why we can talk about with our rational souls, beautiful literature. Sally mentioned Flannery O'Connor, why we can look at a Michelangelo painting and have it speak to us through unspeakable beauty. That's, that's kind of an oxymoron. It communicates something to us through unspeakable right. beauty just by us looking at it and taking in its gaze we can listen it's to how we can have these quote-unquote mountaintop experiences yeah exactly looking at a beautiful painting or being literally on a mountain right and it's it's why we can listen to a chopin nocturne and get something from that now maybe some skeptical neurologists who believe we are the highest form of animal would look at would look at that and say all we're all we're doing is experiencing dopamine surges in our brains but uh, I th I have to believe that there's something more to these experiences than just a dopamine surge and a neurochemical alteration of the brain. I think there is in those moments uh, a, an activity in the soul, in the deepest part of man, like we talked about earlier, and that's what makes us less like beasts and more like gods. And so, like Sally was saying in Gilbert Myland's words, neither beasts nor gods, somewhere in between, reflecting that duality and living that tension every day. And I think that... If we embrace that, if we lean into it, then it's going to change. It's going to affect how we treat ourselves and how we treat the people around us. 
We talked about objectification. When we see other people as embodied souls and ensouled bodies, we are going to be less likely to objectify them. Definitely. And if we see ourselves that way, then we're going to be less likely to hate one part of ourselves or to to see our soul or our body as evil. Um, and I think we're going to we're going to take care of ourselves ourselves better and take care of the people around us better. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Vernacular Podcast. We hope you're enjoying this series on the art of being human. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Vernacular Pod, you should. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash vernacular podcast. If you want to tell us why we're wrong, you can contact us those ways or you can email us at Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. And check out our website, vernacularpodcast.com. You can also go to patreon.com slash vernacular uh, for Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Feeling better than ever when I'm by your